Turn up the volume, turn up the flavour. Wings, beers and sporting glory. Only at Winghouse. You're listening to the All-American Hour with Geordie and the Chief. Good morning. Welcome to the All-American Hour with Geordie and the Chief this Friday morning on SEM. We've made it all the way through the working week as we lead up to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. We are only days away now. And uh, Chief and I have uh, two more episodes of the All-American Hour to go this Friday morning and then our regular time slot on the Sunday uh, this upcoming weekend. So we are now right down to the pointy end as we get closer to the Super Bowl. And, of course, joining us again live from Las Vegas is the Chief, David Alcaro. Morning, Chief. How are you? Oh, good morning, Jordy. I'm doing well. Thank you. There's, uh, there's been a bit happening in your life, it sounds like. There was a pretty busy day on the uh, on the cards for you yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it got started right after I, I left you. Um, I have a horse that was running at, on Saturday at Aqueduct Race uh, Track in New York. I'm very excited. It's my first uh, time that a horse is going to be running with my silks. I'll have the, the CHF for Chief Horse Futures on the, <laughs> on the chest. But there was a hiccup with my... Uh, I guess my licensing. So I had to take my wallet out of my, while I was in that taxi, uh, I had to take uh, my wallet out of my, uh, uh, my ID out of my wallet to take a picture of it and send it to uh, my horse trainer to send to the racing authority. And I left my wallet in the taxi. I found it, you know, just, I look back and it was a, a, you know, black seat. I have a black uh, leather wallet. Um, and, you know, I got about, you know, maybe about a minute into uh, the walk and I do the tap and there's no wallet and uh, go back. I'm like, the, you know, the cab is left. Now, of course, I pay cash with the taxi because I had a kerfuffle with an Uber driver. And then I, you can't find the Uber pickup spot at the Mandalay Bay where the uh, Radio Row is. So that's why I'm taking a, a, a taxi, and cash is very easy. You can give them an exact amount, a little tip, and you're done. But in, in Las Vegas, there's all different taxi companies. In New York, there's one taxi commission. There's a lost and found for the entire thing, but, and there's a lot more cabs, obviously, in New York. But uh, here I had to, you know, I was able to narrow it down to two companies. It's no luck. So uh, kind of give it up. It's like uh, solving a murder. If you don't get it in the first 48 hours, you're in trouble. So it's the same thing with, you know, losing a wallet. Uh, get a phone call with the 516 area code, which is Long Island, uh, right, you know, right out east of uh, New York City. So I'm kind of thinking this can't be. It's got to be someone who uh, is calling for some other reason. Maybe racetrack, a lot of racetrack people, because Aqueduct's right on the border. Belmont is in Long Island, mm. the two racetracks. And no, it's a, a good Samaritan New Yorker, Long Islander, who found my, he said, you know, you're a hard guy to find. He find, found my wallet, and, you know, obviously <laughs> with an ID, just, you know, no ID, you're, you're in trouble. And I do have my backup uh, passport with me, which I always have two IDs, so, but still, like, no credit cards, it was, you know, there was cash, it was all, wasn't a lot of cash, you know, maybe a handful of pineapples, as you guys would say, (laughs) but, you know, uh, just amazing, you know, turn of event, it was the biggest win you can have in Vegas, from going from thinking you've lost your wallet, your whole, everything, to then having it back, and, and it was so, it was just, uh, you know, great, good Samaritan story, you know, I would do something similar, I, 
you know, I might have given it to the cab driver. I'm glad he didn't give it to the cab driver. The cab driver's kind of shady. So um, <laughs> I, I think he kind of trusted that he would do the right thing. And uh, he did. And it was a, just a wonderful gentleman. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for it. And it led into a great afternoon and a great night. So you've got, you've got wallet back in hand as we speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was very okay. shortly received. Yeah. And, um, oh, see. Sorry about that. Um, it was very shortly received. You know, uh, I was able to get it uh, very shortly after. Mm-hmm. And uh, then went downtown to uh, the old Las Vegas Strip, which I'd never been. <laughs> I'd been to Vegas almost 20 times. Never went down there, you know. For a lot of times, it was a place you wouldn't want to go down. And now they've redeveloped it a little bit, but it was still a bit seedy. And <laughs> but it was uh, it was cool to see. And then uh, went to the U2 concert at the Sphere, the new. Um, yeah, went from old strip. It was just like that party the night before. It was you know old Vegas to now the future and the the Sphere, two point uh, two billion dollar uh, facility. Just it looks like a complete ball. Uh, record amount of LED lights in and out. Uh, they've uh, right now I can see it from my hotel room, and I'm, I can't really see exactly what it is. But oh, it's the Chiefs helmet. You know they've been rotating the Chiefs helmet and the 49ers helmet and uh, all different cool things. But inside, yeah, you two put on a, a fantastic performance. Thought wasn't thrilled with the set list. It was all Octoon baby, and you know you're getting five or six B sides and rarities. You know I, I want the hits at YouTube, but yeah. uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it was a great show. And the, the use of the video, I'm, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It was when it first debuted. It was all over uh, social media. Just uh, these incredible images of the the way they use these big, huge screen and lighting. So that was a, that was a really cool experience. So I want to go back. Let's let's work through this. So if you want to send a text message, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen, here on the forty winks temper text. We will get to the football side of things shortly. But uh, I want to I want to pick apart this uh, this massive day you had yesterday. Uh, we are here thanks to Winghouse, of course. Winghouse, the best seats and beers, always guaranteed. Um, so firstly, so the old the old uh, the old strip. Uh, how 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 close or how far is it to to the main strip in Las Vegas right now? Yeah, it's about a 15-minute drive. Um, yeah, uh, a friend of mine who stays down there, who's got a great Australian connection, is actually the caddy for Cam, Cameron Percy on the, the PGA Tour. My friend Brandon Davis, he uh, uh, took us down there. He, he always goes down there. He's been to Vegas a lot more than I have, and he always loves going downtown. So there's uh, just the older original casinos, Binion's, um, the Golden Nugget, uh, just I'm trying to think a couple of the other names, but the brand new Circa, which is just a phenomenal brand new facility, kind of a, the anchor to the redevelopment of that area. But it was, uh, yeah, it was very, uh, very cool to see some of the old Vegas and yeah, Circa, one of the, probably the best sports book uh, on, in the city. And they're all still operating? Yeah, yeah, these are all operating casinos. <laughs> you know, the, the carpets are a little, uh, you know, um, beaten up and such. But yeah, these are all, you know, you can get, we, we played, uh, shot a few dice for a minute. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something probably worth seeing to learn the history. There's like a mob museum, uh, which I think I mentioned the other day. Um, yeah, so it was... Uh, yeah, a pretty cool thing. Do they look like they yeah haven't been renovated for a couple of decades? <laughs> yes, yeah, a couple of them definitely <laughs> do. Uh, but you know the dealers are wearing kind of really the old style 
um, you know, white, all white shirts with the, the black, uh, you know, band on the arm. You know, so it's, it's, they, they play it up too as well. Yeah, okay. So if you're, if you're a fan of the old-timey kind of Vegas uh, aesthetic, then that's, that's the place for you. That's where you'd go. Absolutely, yeah. Fremont yeah. Street. But then there's, yeah, Fremont Street's a covered area with a big, huge digital modern uh, roof display that goes, you know, probably about, you know, a kilometer. Mm. And then, so you two at the Sphere, so explain, so some people probably don't even understand how the Sphere works because it looks like just a big ball on the outside, but it is, uh, it is a, it's a, it's a concert hall, right? It's a, it's an auditorium or not an auditorium, but it's a place, it's a venue. Yeah, it is. It really is an auditorium, concert hall, theater. It wasn't as sphery as I thought. It was kind of very much uh, set up like a regular theater. Uh, it was actually quite time a big guy, but it was quite tight. Um, you know, even like a modern design place. A lot of b- ballpark stadiums are a little bit more spacious, but uh, again, price and they're just trying to squeeze. They're trying to get their money back on it. It's such a massive investment. Uh, but yeah, they, I'm not sure the details on the height, and the, but it's the, the entire uh, curved wall is is just all uh, video screen, and I'm not even sure how they do it all. It's just, uh, but it's a just phenomenal uh, visual, uh, magnificent uh, display, and and you know they they you two is you know fantastic as well. And you and you see the um, the, the curvature of the of the sphere above you. Yeah, you can, oh yeah, yeah. There's there's mo- there was a moment with the blue screens. It felt like it was daytime, like you felt like you were outside in the day, and it was obviously a night concert. It was just unbelievable how sharp the uh, video screen was. Wow, incredible! The sphere. So it's only been there for the last not even twelve months, right? Oh no, yeah. I think it opened up in December of of uh, yeah twenty twenty three. So just uh, a couple months old. This. U2 is the only performers. There's a a kind of a show-off show. I think Darren Aronofsky directed it for, you know, you could see, I'm sure. It would be something if I had more time to do, I'd like to see that as well. It's probably really cool with Earth and those kinds of things. Uh, But that's it. I I heard, yeah, Dead & Company, I believe, is uh, they're going to be here over the summer. I'm not sure what other uh, bands they'll have. But you need a residency because it costs so much money to actually create those images so you can't just do it for two nights three nights you have to have a to spend all that money investment in the uh, digital display you have to have a long show right okay so can okay so can a so a band wouldn't be able to play there for just you know on a stop on a world tour for one or two nights i i mean they could but you you wouldn't be able to unless they did some sort of basic uh you know uh, use of that screen uh you wouldn't you know it wouldn't be cost effective to, to, you know, have the programmers develop what needs to go into that, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, that's kind of a that's also very much an issue with them get it recouping the money. Normal theaters, you could book every single night and and get. I mean, you can still book it, but you wouldn't get nearly the value of the as a viewer to see it without, uh, you know, a properly produced uh, program. Las Vegas is a pretty busy, bustling, happening city at the at the best of times. But does it feel like the city's really uh, swelling up now with with more people coming in for the Super Bowl? Actually, not at all. It was actually really quite quiet, and it's it's kind of been quiet um, a bit surprisingly. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, it's still Wednesday. Oh, now it's Thursday. It's Friday for you guys. But it, you know, last night being Wednesday night, 
Usually, uh, almost uh, could you know one of the slowest nights of the week by far, and Vegas can really get slow midweek because so much is around the weekends. Unless there's some sort of convention, a uh, big convention in the center. I've been here uh, in the middle of a week, and it can be really depressing. Um, but it, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't it wasn't as bustling as I thought. I think it'll pick up a lot tonight, and even much more so um, tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think a lot of regular groups are gotten scared off. The prices were really high. I think the hotel prices have completely collapsed because they had it juiced up so much. So all regular travelers, all regular, they're not, they didn't come at all. So you're not getting as many of the visitors, uh, I think they expected. I think Kansas City, I don't think travels that well, especially because they've had this experience so often. Mm. And, you know, Vegas is very expensive. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been a bit quiet. Uh, I'm kind of surprised, but I think it'll pick up a lot uh, tonight. It's also very cold, very uncomfortably cold. Yeah, so I guess that's in the middle of the desert, right? Deserts get cold at night, so it's going to be, uh, it's, it's not, you know, even though you think of Vegas being in the middle of the desert, in Nevada being really hot and warm, it is, you know, in the middle of winter over there, so it's, it is only going to be, I think, I think we said at the start of the week, 10 or 12 degrees uh, Celsius at night, which is, uh, the, the match will be played sort of in the, in the evening, sort of a twilight time slot, so by the end of the match, it's going to be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it would be fine. It's temper, completely temperature controlled, so indoors, everything will be perfect in terms of that. Of but course, yeah. for the uh, for the uh, the fans leaving the game, and there's going to be a long walk leaving that game. There's a, about a mile perimeter outside of the stadium for safety, all for you know uh, precautionary safety reasons. So even when you enter that, you still have a mile to get to the stadium. You know, almost two kilometers in in some cases, and. Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully we won't have rain or anything because it's uncovered and it could be very uncomfortable. Zero. But inside will be fine. The players will be fine. Have you seen the stadium yet? Yeah, oh yeah. On Monday night, we were on the field. Oh, of course, that was that's where right. all yeah. the interviewing was. Yeah, we were able to, to walk on that field. And I think all of us, uh, you know, I was speaking with the uh, Brooksy, some of the others, we have little spots on the field that we spent a lot of time on that we're wondering if, well, could there be a really big play right at that spot? This week, over the last couple of days, we've been looking at the uh, positions, the, the positional units for each team. So the special teams unit, the defensive unit. We had a look at the offensive line and the uh, skill position players on offense um, yesterday for both teams. And today we are leaving the, the big dogs till last. The quarterbacks and also the coaches as well uh, for the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And who has the uh, potential upper hand in either category? Um, Chief, you cannot get two uh, polar opposite quarterbacks, really, in terms of their their way through the system. Um, they've got, I guess, their own unique qualities as quarterbacks and also similar qualities in, in the way that they play. Uh, but as far as uh, sort of the, the, the pedigree of player coming through, you've got Patrick Mahomes, who was a, um, you know, almost a sort of a prodigious talent across two sports growing up. He was drafted uh, in the Major League Baseball, but then cho- chose to uh, to play NFL. And he was the number 10 draft pick back in 2017. And then Brock Purdy, who uh, who came through only uh, in 2022 as the 262nd pick in that uh, 2022 draft. That was the last pick of the draft. So he was Mr. Irrelevant, they call that, the very last pick of the draft. So you've got a top 10 player and Mr. Irrelevant. But over the last, well, for at least the, the span of Brock Purdy's career, being the, the player who has been in the NFL the fewest amount of years. They have been 
uh, two players who have sort of, I guess, butted heads, I, I suppose, for, uh, for for two teams who have been at the absolute absolute top echelon of, uh, of teams in the NFL, and here they meet in a Super Bowl. So... Firstly, on, on Patrick Mahomes, we've you know NFL fans are familiar with him, but for those who aren't, what does Patrick Mahomes bring to the table at the at the QB position? Oh, pretty much everything. He's as 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 talented a quarterback as I've ever seen. I think he's uh, well. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away because we have a top five, but um, he he's just does everything well. I think he's extremely smart. I think that's one of the big things that he don't talk about is how uh, good he is. I think he's actually undercoached, believe it or not. And not a knock on Andy Reid, but if he had a real uh, fast-moving um, play caller, he could put up so many points. With a different offense, he could put up break all the records because of his ability to move so quickly. And I feel like he's always kind of moving his hand in like give me give me the plate faster he wants to move so much quicker but athletic so athletic every arm the best arm can throw it to all different angles but his ability to evade pressure and gain big plays with his feet on first downs it's just he does everything well Patrick Holmes is uh, you know nearly the perfect quarterback um He's the best I've ever seen. All right, giving away number one. <laughs> it's just, yeah, we're talking about him, and there's no way to not put him in that. Uh, so uh, this would really cement his legacy. Um, a loss here, eh, it's a little bit of a knock, but he's still, you know, just so prodigious, so early. Yeah, he's uh, already won two Super Bowls, uh, and he's just 28 years of age, which is uh, still, you know, relatively young in, in the NFL. You can play till if you're a quarterback, you can play to your mid to late 30s, so he still could potentially have at least 10 years ahead of him uh, in the league if he keeps his body fit. Um, so you, you say that there's still room for improvement almost, you know, if he had a different coach. And again, we're not, not knocking Andy Reid because he's one of the best coaches that there has been in the NFL, but maybe a different style of coach would be able to draw more out of Patrick Mahomes. Yes, absolutely, I think. And you've just seen it, the, the few moments when they're down. We haven't seen it this season much, uh, where they're kind of down in games and um, he's got to make those crazy uh, comebacks, he, how fast he can move that offense. And, uh, you know, so the Buffalo Bills saw it. Um, it's just incredible how um, he, he just, I think that's, he processes so quickly. I think he can call his own plays. I think at the end of his career, he's going to be even better with that. And then Brock Purdy on the other side of things. So he is, he's only been in the league for, for a couple of years. Um, he was Mr. Irrelevant. As I said, this is his, uh, what, his third season? Fourth? Uh, sorry, second or third season? I think second season uh, in the league. And, um, yeah, second season for Brock Purdy, which is actually kind of mind-boggling. I feel, it feels like he's been in the league longer, which is why I second-guess myself. But he... Uh, he only started uh, what five games uh, last season. That's right. Yeah, at the end of end of last season, he started those five games, and now he's been the starting quarterback all through this season uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. So it's it has been a uh, a short but meteoric rise for Brock Purdy, who was who was that uh, seventh round draft pick, and um, and you know at, at times this season he's he's shown immense talent and skill as well, and that's that's not to say he's only showing immense talent. In brief times, he's a pretty consistent quarterback all the way through uh, the the season for the San Francisco 49ers. But then he does have those moments where he just flashes brilliance uh, even higher than what his his base standard is. Um, how do you sort of rate Brock Purdy and 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 what are the main characteristics of his uh, uh, play at quarterback? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of surprising that he was the last pick in the draft because it does seem like he's he would have shown enough in college. And I didn't really watch him play a lot in college, so uh, I don't know. I could see, I guess, you know, the measurables. He's he's not nearly as as big as other quarterbacks, or he's not nearly as big as his backup. Sam Darnold is it towers over him. Um, so you know, size is very important in evaluating a quarterback. Uh, he doesn't have that classic big arm. He probably doesn't run that fast, but boy, he's runs and he's hard to tackle and he finds the right time to run. Uh, so a lot of maybe immeasurables that are, that he's good at because that's why he slipped in the draft all the way to the last pick. Though some teams are you know coming out and saying, "Oh, well, we liked him and we wanted to you know take him." <laughs> you know, it's easy to say now. Uh, but he's he's proven, yeah, to to I think be able to play in big games and stand up to the pressure, and that's why I'm I'm picking the 49ers because I think he can uh, step up and have a big game and and at least perform, not make the mistakes that could cost uh, the 49ers a Super Bowl. So I think Brock Purdy is uh, is primed for a, a very strong game. I, I don't think he's going to win the MVP for the the game. But I think he's going to be, obviously, uh, you know, you can't win without a, uh, at least solid quarterback play. How important is, so on top of all of the, the, the qualities that a quarterback needs and a lot of the physical traits that a quarterback needs, uh, you know, the physical components like um, like uh, accuracy with the throwing arm, uh, power in the throwing arm, uh, ability to move with the feet, how, how is, is almost, is the number one trait composure and decision-making for a quarterback? Yeah, it should be, but it's very that's very hard to measure. You know, it's much easier to measure um, height. <laughs> it's much easier to measure speed, um, and, and you know, different things. But composure and big spots. I mean, you can look at it from from again college, uh, and, and he played at Iowa State, a, a good college, a good college football program, but not at the upper echelon and, and playing in the highest uh, level of competitive games. Uh, I mean, they're in the highest league, but they're not uh, one of the better teams in that league. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, that's what's so tricky. And that's why, you know, in that same draft, the 49ers drafted Trey Lance at the very top, third pick, and they moved Trey up to get him. Uh, and they completely were wrong. And they, they, I guess, knew that pretty quickly. They moved on. I believe he's the backup quarterback in Dallas with the Cowboys. Um, so uh, it, it's, it, and, you know, we're going to talk about actually, you know, I, I might even switching my number one because Tom Brady was a sixth round pick. And, uh, if, if, you know, some of the quarterbacks that I'm going to mention on the top five, you know, weren't first overall picks. A couple might be, but uh, it, it is very unpredictable and it's, uh, it's not a science uh, drafting. The, just briefly, a word on maybe the backup quarterbacks as well. And, you know, they, they'll most likely not get any game time at all. And, and they very rarely had game time this season. But Blaine Gabbert is the backup at Kansas City. Sam Darnold, you mentioned his name before. He's the backup at, at San Francisco. What kind of, I mean, you know, they're kind of the unseen position. They don't really get too much game time over the course of a season. But sort of, I guess, the role within the team on the inner sanctum that a, a backup quarterback has uh, in an NFL team. Yeah, I think every team's a little different and what type of quarterback that is relative to the starter. In some cases, when you have a young starter and you have a veteran backup, 
then it's some, you know, different dynamic thing. If you have a veteran, you know, starter and, and, you know, a young quarterback maybe developing as the backup. So there's always a very different dynamic. And this case is kind of interesting because Sam Darnold, the backup quarterback for the 49ers, was a, a top pick by the New York Jets right at the top, near the top of the first round, right at the top of the first round. Um, and... He didn't work out in New York, went to Carolina, didn't work out there, and it's kind of, you know, found his way as a backup. Um, and Blaine Gabbert, almost very similarly, was a first-round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, didn't pan out there, um, kind of bounced around a few places, and uh, has found a job as a backup in uh, Kansas City. Uh, now, obviously, yeah, Blaine Gabbert is, you know, just kind of, uh, hoping not to play because of how great Patrick Mahomes is. But Sam Darnold might not be as big a drop-off. Um, obviously, if there were a situation where one of the starters would get injured, it would be a much bigger loss on the Kansas City side uh, because Sam Darnold, one, is you know maybe a little bit you know more solid, but also just is not as big a, you know, a clear drop-off there. Um, so, yeah, their roles are a little different. You know, they... Don't get to practice much, but they'll be in the games. I've actually saw, saw a report that maybe the biggest risk the sports books have is some very heavy betting on Sam Darnold to be the MVP at three hundred one. Thinking that, yeah, thinking that maybe something happens early to Purdy where he either gets hurt or pulled, and then Darnold leads him to a victory, and it, you know. 300 to 1, it doesn't take a whole lot to, you know, uh, get the, the Bucks a little worried, but um, obviously highly unlikely. The coaching staff, so we look at the coaches now and uh, and, and the men that run the uh, the show for both teams. Uh, head coach Andy Reid for Kansas City. He's assisted by Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator, and Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator. We've mentioned the, the coaches' names uh, over the course of the week, but... Um, I guess what's a, how how do Kansas City generally game plan and uh, and the influence of of Andy Reid and his uh, coordinators on this team? Yeah, uh, I think you, you do have a little bit of an edge there with Kansas City. Certainly, Andy Reid having won uh, two Super Bowls with this group in Kansas City uh, and just so much more experience all those years with Philadelphia Eagles and a Super Bowl appearance there and uh, many many uh, conference championship games. So, yeah, a lot more experience at head coach than with Andy Reid than Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan's experience has been a little rough, um, obviously losing the Super Bowl uh, a bunch of years back to Kansas City in a game that was led 20-10. to 10, And then he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons when uh, they blew a 28-3 to 3 lead against the New England Patriots in the uh, Super Bowl previously. So, yeah. Uh, and head coach, you know, you have to give the edge to Andy Reid. The coordinators, um, you know, uh, really kind of, I think, off as great as, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, we talked about how great he is, but but Steve Wilkes is also a very good uh, defensive coordinator for the, the 49ers. And um, I don't think the coaching will, will be the difference. And that's, again, why I have no problem taking the 49ers. I think that... Um, Kyle Shanahan has proven a lot in these past couple games that he can coach teams from deficits and that uh, he hadn't had a lot of success with that previously in his career. I think that was actually some some good things to, to win those games close. It was interesting, Eric Kramer, we had it yesterday, 
he, he liked the fact that the Chiefs have been playing better, and they have been and over the, the, these playoffs. They've had more, much more impressive wins, winning on the road and beating, beating uh, even better teams, while uh, the 49ers are just edging past lesser teams. And I kind of look at it almost the other way, where they're winning close games and they're building that confidence that they can do that because this um, almost certainly, I feel, is going to be a close game at the end. So I don't think coaching will be the reason why uh, this, either way this game uh, is won or lost. Just to mention them by name again, so the, the 49ers, I mentioned the Kansas City coaching staff before, but the 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan, defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, as you said, who has been a head coach uh, in the league before, and they don't really have an offensive coordinator. They've split that um, job into two with Chris, For- uh, Chris Forster, who is the run game coordinator, and Clint Kubiak, uh, who is the, uh, the passing game coordinator. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan's the play caller, and that's really the key. I, I'm not sure exactly what they do with... Uh, I should know better, but Reed and Nag- Nagy, uh, I think, I really kind of think Reed calls the plays, but yeah. uh, again, it, it, you know, it's a team effort and they're on the headsets with each other. So Exactly. And the last one that we'll have a look at is the role players. So this is kind of a bit off Broadway for both teams, but the players who, who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, the, 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 the name recognized starters, uh, or, or sorry, yeah, maybe not stars, maybe they might be the, the second string players or or maybe they're a bit more of the, the, the understated starters, so maybe like a slot receiver um, or a fullback or something like that. So you've got, you know, the likes of someone like maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, the backup running back it's, um, at, at the Kansas City Chiefs, or Rasheed Rice, the slot receiver, the rookie um, for the Chiefs. And, and for the 49ers, you've got the likes of Kyle Juszczyk, who's the fullback, Jawan Jennings, who we'll hear from as well in just a second, and, uh, and even a couple of the defensive players, you know, a backup linebacker, for example. Who are the role players that, that you think can actually have an impact in this match and, and end up maybe being the difference, the one percenters, uh, that could be the difference in this match? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a little biased. You know, I, I spoke to Justin Watson, the wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't know, I just kind of have a gut feel on him that I think he can make a big play. Just... Um, Having some some more, a little bit more experience than, than some of the other wideouts for Kansas City, uh, so I think yeah, Justin Watson on on the Kansas City side, and yeah, I, on the 49ers side, I'm really a, a big fan of Juwan Jennings. Is <laughs> the reason why I tried to get a clip with him. You know, he, he went to the University of Tennessee, so I'm a fan of him from college. He made a huge catch to win a game against Georgia on the final play, almost like hail mary type play. So he has that ability to go up and get catches and. In the first uh, playoff game against uh, when the uh, uh, 49ers played against the Packers, Debo Samuel got hurt in the first quarter, didn't play the rest of the game. Juwan Jennings ended up putting up uh, you know, big receiving numbers because he had to step up, and he can. So uh, I think Juwan Jennings could have a, a really big game on the 49ers side. Let's have a quick listen to Juwan Jennings as you caught up with him a couple of days ago at Radio Row. Wide receivers known for their stats, fantasy points. How important, though, are the other things blocking to your wide receiver core? Uh, we take it serious in our room. We have a hard hat uh, for knockdowns and uh, great blocks. Um, and for every uh, knockdown or great block, you get to sign the hard hat. Do you think you should get some fantasy points for the extra yards to get Christian McCaffrey on some of those plays? <laughs> We're going to have to leave that up <laughs> to the end. Yeah. There you go. Jawan Jennings, wide receiver from the 49ers, Chief. 
Yeah, and, and that's something that I really wanted to point out because the, the 49ers uh, wide receivers, especially Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk, really uh, fantastic blockers down the field. So when you see Christian McCaffrey get those big runs, a lot of times that extra 10, 15 yards at the end of the play is because one of the wide receivers went down there and, and made a key block. And um, not that the Chiefs, I'm not knocking necessarily the Chiefs blocking, but I think that's another edge the 49ers have is that they, they really, uh, Kyle Shanahan, his father, Mike Shanahan, one of the great run uh Rush quarter, uh, coaches of all time, and that's what Kyle Shanahan learned. And so, of a, so much of it is due to how good the wide receivers block and, and the whole team concept of, uh, of the run game and, and getting everyone involved. One off the text from Tim in Brighton, 0433981116. Morning, Geordie and the Chief. How much of a factor is Allegiant Stadium going to play? Kansas City are familiar and have a great win rate there while the 49ers play in a different conference. Um, it's a good question, actually, because they do play there twice a year, being in the same uh, division as the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So they are much more familiar, the Chiefs, with the venue. Yes, though the 49ers did play here, uh, I think, a bit recently. Uh, that is a fantastic question. It's actually a question I asked Debo Samuel, because I think he's going to perform very well on the turf. I think he's going to particularly be able to run a bit faster and cut really well on it. Um, he, he said he'd have to try it out, which, uh, I uh, was a bit surprised, but he, he wasn't really answering any questions. So, um, yeah, I, that's a fantastic question. I was trying to find out, um, I'm going to ask if I do run to players I'm, and that's the question I do want to ask, I think it will really help the 49ers. I think they're a slightly faster team. And I think even though the chiefs do have more experience playing in this stadium, uh, I think the, the field surface will, will benefit the uh, 49ers because of the speed factor. Tim also says, P.S. Chief, take what happened with the return of your wallet as a good omen and your horse will get up on the weekend. Good luck. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, before we uh, round out the show with our top five uh, quarterbacks of all time, uh, since we are at the end of the week, Chief, uh, we may as well do our predictions for the for the match. It's still a couple of days away and we've got another show uh, coming up on on Sunday morning, but um, hey, we're we're at the end of uh, of a working week. So, uh, predictions for for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm going San Francisco 27, Kansas City 19. Uh, I think it'll be. You know, they're expecting 47 and a half points. I think it's slightly lower than that, though. I it, it could, you know, obviously both offenses a lot of offensive talent. Um, Super Bowls have a history of kind of getting a little wacky sometimes and a little higher scoring than normal. But I think both teams like to be a little bit deliberate with the ball and run the clock. Certainly the Kansas City Chiefs, whenever uh, Patrick Holmes is begging for a play call, it takes a little while for it to come in. And uh, they're pretty deliberate. But I think uh, San Francisco is just a better team. I think there's just a lot more talent on both sides of the ball. I think that uh, Brock Purdy will play well enough, and uh, I, I don't know if he'll doubt he'll outplay Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think he'll have to. And I don't think Andy Reid re- is really going to outcoach Kyle Shanahan. I think that, that it's uh, also not going to be a factor, and it's just going to be the overwhelming 
uh, talent, both on the offensive skill positions in, for San Francisco, and I think even the you know really the defensive skill positions. I think uh, Nick Bosa is primed for a big game. I think Fred Warner is going to be be awesome at, at linebacker, and uh, I think they'll be able to, the 49ers defense will be able to slow down Travis Kelsey. I think that'll be very key at their linebacker core. Uh, certainly in the second half, Kelsey can maybe have some big plays early in the game, but I think they'll uh, be able to stop Travis Kelsey. And then the Kansas City wide receivers and, and the running backs, I don't see them stepping up and making the plays uh, to win. So you said, so was it 27-19 you said, San Francisco? Yes, yes. And yes, your, your MVP? I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think uh, yeah, some of it should be kind of a team effort with how good the blocking will be. But I think statistically, he, I think he's going to put up the numbers. I think he's going to make some huge plays, both as a receiver and as a running back. And uh, I think, yeah, Christian McCaffrey will be the, uh, yeah, the Super Bowl MVP. Yep, I've got McCaffrey as my MVP as well. Uh, I just think the impact he has, particularly in the playoffs uh, and what we've seen, uh, from him over the last couple of weeks has just been outstanding. I think he's uh, he's arguably been maybe the player of the of the playoffs as well uh, over the last couple of weeks, all told. Um, and uh, and just his uh, his his running ability, finding the gaps and bursting through for those extra yards is so cr- critical in, in picking up regular first downs for San Francisco. I've got the 49ers winning as well. I've got uh, a higher scoring game. I've got it 33 to 30. Uh, so a tight game, hoping for a close game, and, and I think it's going to be high scoring. As you said, Super Bowls can be a little bit wacky. In the la- I mean, last year we had an incredibly high scoring match, 38-35. Uh, we had 23-20 the year before between the Rams and the Bengals, 31-9, 31-20. Uh, and we had a 13-3 year against uh, between the Patriots and the Rams, and then the year before that was 41-33 back in 2017. So they can get pretty high. Um, at times, the scoring, and I think uh, I think we'll see that. Even though both defenses have been good uh, as well, and you know the the Chiefs' defense closing out the Ravens um, effectively, I think it's going to be a higher scoring match. So thirty three thirty for me. All right, Chief, to round out the show, top five all time quarterbacks. Who have you got? Okay, I'm going to go number five, Joe Montana. It's going to be a very debated list. Some Ooh. people have Joe Montana number one, yeah. and, but. Uh, I want to very much, again, chicken and the egg kind of debate where he had such a great head coach in in Bill Walsh who really revolutionized the game with the West Coast offense. And I think the coaching was such a huge factor there. Uh, But great from San Francisco 49ers, 4-0 in the Super Bowl and uh, also had the best wide receiver of all time in Jerry Rice. Uh, Number four, I'm going to go with Dan Marino. Uh, now, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl, and I, but I think a lot of that was just due to um, the lack of defense he played, his teams had, and, and really just, you know, not as great a teams that he was on. But as an individual performer, uh, Dan Marino, the best arm, the ability to get the uh, passes out quickly, they took so few sacks. Um, just, just an absolute uh, brilliant when I, when I was growing up. Um, you know, I, I like both of them, Joe Montana and Dan Marino, but I always I thought Dan Marino ha- had the edge just because of how uh, how strong his arm was, and it was ju- I thought just as accurate yep. as Joe Montana. Number three, I'm going to go with Peyton Manning. Um, you know, a, a personal favorite, but. Uh, I think the best regular season quarterback of all time. Uh, his playoff performance is not maybe on the level that you know get him into the top of this list. Uh, a coach on the field made all the decisions. Um, 
Just, uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic quarterback. Now, I actually, I, I said Patrick Mahomes number one. He's the best I've ever seen, but I can't put him at number one just because he hasn't done it long enough. Uh, but uh, in terms of absolute talent and, and quality of play, uh, Patrick Mahomes would be number one. But I'm going to have to put uh, Tom Brady at number one. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. They've been a huge rival, and it's so hard to kind of pick Tom Brady over him. But those <laughs> last few years, uh, just the, the longevity and those last few years, what Tom Brady did just blew really every North American sports athlete out of the water, really, in terms of winning and playing at such a high level at such an advanced age. And then going and switching teams to the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers and winning a Super Bowl there, that just kind of yeah. cemented... Uh, uh, but I think, if, if again, Patrick Mahomes can end up with around the same number of Super Bowls and continue this pace, it would flip. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, my, it's my personal top five. <laughs> there we go. No, it's pretty accurate. Montana, Marino, Manning, Mahomes, and Brady is your top five. Chief, I like it. Hey, Chief, we got through five days and we didn't even mention Taylor Swift, so there we go. We might, we might oh. mention her on Sunday. <laughs> yes. We've got... Yeah. We've got one more episode coming up on on Sunday morning at 6 a.m., so make sure you tune in for our last pre-Super Bowl show. Chief, it's been a big week. Thank you so much, mate. We'll chat again uh, on Sunday. Oh, thank you, Jordy. The All-American Hour coming back in a couple of days.